All right, let's find our uh, place in uh, Matthew chapter 8, please. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 23 through 27 today. And you'll find that on page 1508 in your book rack Bible. Somebody stopped me in the lobby this morning and said, I hope I'm alive when you finish Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) To which I said, me too. (laughs) We're in a section in Matthew, a narrative section, Matthew 8 and 9, where we're learning that Jesus is Messiah and, and the proof of his Messiahship is in his miracles. We've seen miracles all through this passage. He's healed a leper, a centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, and countless people who showed up at the house there in Capernaum where Jesus was ministering. And here we come to another amazing little section because last week we saw that not only is he proving his Messiahship in his miracles, but also in his call to discipleship. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Remember the two guys that came out of the crowd last week and Jesus gave them sort of a not-so-fast kind of thing? Like, really make sure you know what you're getting into. If you're going to follow me, Jesus says, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost, it doesn't cost you anything for salvation, but to follow me is going to cost you. And today, in this section we're going to look at today, one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospels, uh, we, we're going to see the blend of not only Jesus' miraculous power, but the cost of discipleship again. What does it cost us to follow Jesus? And so if you're looking at the text with me, let's just see it in verse 23, and let's, see, let's let it wash over our hearts. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. All right, so this is an amazing text, as I've already said. It's one of my favorite texts in, in the scriptures. And as we look at it here, it's, just, it's kind of interesting to me. that the, I see three simple movements. There's a movement of getting into the boat. There's a movement of what happened in the boat. And then there's a movement at the very end in terms of what happens as a result of what happened in the boat. So that's where we're going this morning. And the first thing I want to show you about this text today is what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the crisis of discipleship. Following Jesus will sometimes, are you ready for this, lead us to difficult and even terrifying situations. Everybody say amen to that, right? (laughs) We're not excited about that. I mean, following Jesus leads us into difficult and even terrifying situations. Yeah, that's what happens. Now, you're not going to hear that statement probably from the televangelist that promises you nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity if you follow Jesus and if you have enough faith. But I see this truth right here in the text. For these disciples following Jesus into the boat that day was about to provide a rather harrowing, terrifying experience. Now, Mark's gospel, we've been showing you that there's parallel uh, uh, citations of these stories in the other gospel record. And in Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they're actually following Jesus' bidding. He says, let's go. And they say, great, let's go. And they get in the boat and they follow him. 
And just like we learned last week, when we decide to follow Jesus, we're not always sure where it's going to lead us. And here in this text, uh, this always brings me back actually to something that happened in my life a few years back. I was on a, a plane flying from Los Angeles to Oakland, and I've shared this story before, but it really bears repeating because it comes right out of this text. I always whisper a little prayer when I get on a plane, you know, Lord, put me next to somebody that I can share something about you. And, and you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, so I get on the plane, and it's a little Southwest uh, jet, and so it's, I'm in the bulkhead seating. I was kind of one of the last guys on the plane, so I find my seat, and, and there's a little gal next to me. She's about eight years old or so, and, you know, little kids that travel alone, they got those lanyards that say, you know, I'm, I'm a child, leave me alone, you know, don't talk to me, you know, kind of thing. And so I was real cautious with her, and I'm kind of just introducing myself. You know, there's a businessman next to me. He just puts his paper up a little higher. You know, there's a businesswoman across, and there's a teenager sitting directly right across from me. And so, you know, we're just kind of, I'm trying to get to know people, and everyone's just kind of shut down, nothing going on. And finally, a little gal, I just kind of said to her, well, where have you been? Where are you going? She goes, well, I've been visiting my grandmother. I, she lives down here in L.A. I live up in Oakland. I said, oh, that's fantastic, you know, and tell me a little bit, what, what did you do this weekend? And she said, well, I actually, I went to church. I thought, oh, that's cool, you know, make a little note of that. <laughs> oh, really? And, she, and then she goes right in, well, I've never been to church before. And we just taxiing out onto the runway and she reaches down her little bag and she goes, oh, my grandma gave me this and she shows me this, it looks like a, like a cartoon magazine and so I'm looking at it and I realize this is a cartoon rendition of the New Testament and I'm thumbing through it and it's the Gospels and it's all the stories and the Apostles and the Book of Acts and, and it's, it's all there in this in the beautiful little cartoon rendition. I don't even know who the publisher was but I, I said, this is fantastic. This is actually the Bible in like cartoon form and so we're thumbing through it and she just kind of asks me do you have a favorite story and so I I said I got lots of great stories and I'm I'm thumbing through and I land on this story that we're looking at today I said this is one of my favorites and so I'm reading through this story in this cartoon form and now we're taking off and we're flying along and I'm reading it right out loud you know just the scripture and we come to the place, uh, this is, I kid you not, we come to the place in the text where it says this storm broke up on the, uh, ro- furious storm comes up, and the disciples went and woke Jesus saying that they were going to drown. And so I, I kind of look at her, I say, these guys thought they were going to die. And right, right when I said that, it was the most amazing timing in the world, the plane that we were flying in, I've been, <laughs> I've been, in, I've been in lots of jets, and only twice has there been something where I thought to myself, oh, this is not good. And this is one of those times. The wings on the plane just start doing this. Not like we're banking into a turn, but we're going straight, but the wings are going like this. And they're going higher and higher and higher. And they get to the place. Actually, they're going this way because I'm sitting here. She's next to the window. And I'm looking down through the window at the ground. We are like this. And we're almost just about to go over. And then suddenly, carefully, the plane levels out and it rocks a little bit and it comes back to stability. And people are screaming on the plane. There's like this gasp of what's going on. The businessman next to me, I need a martini right now. You know, he's just like, (laughs) he's the kid, the teenager, he's shaking. And he says to me, read a little louder. And the little girl, just calm as beast, she says, go on. (laughs) 
So I read the story, and that little, from and, and three minutes into that, as everyone's sort of collect, collecting themselves, the pilot comes over the little intercom, and he says, oh, you may have noticed a little change in our, <laughs> may have noticed, you know, people are going crazy. He says, we went, and here's what happened. We flew into the jet wash of another jet. And we were, this jet that we were on were, was on automatic pilot at the time, and so it just started to do this roll, and the Airline pilots, they were obviously very adept in bringing the plane back under control. They took it off of autopilot. They brought it back, and that was it. They didn't say anything more about that on the flight. And, but, boy, the, boy the, the, the stewards on that plane, the flight attendants, they served everybody like crazy on that plane, you know, like as if don't tell anyone about just what happened, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> it was really a special time. But that little, that little bulkhead seating area became like a revival for the next 35 minutes as we flew north into Oakland. It was amazing. People asked, I got off the plane giving Bibles and tracts to everybody on the plane. I mean, it was fantastic. That little high school kid that was sitting right across, man, he couldn't even hold his Coca-Cola. He was just shaking the whole time after that experience. But they all listened, and we went through the story just like this, and I got to explain to them that, that Jesus is the one who calms the storms in our lives. And he's the one that comes to, and we can have confidence in him. It was just a beautiful little moment. And like I said, it was such a rare thing, but because it happened in that text, I, I just had to tell you today. And part of the reason I tell you that story is that we know people that are resistant to the gospel right now, right? Neighbors, friends, people at work, people that are sort of folding their arms, they're skeptics, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus, they're really skeptical. Well, the, the reality is this, circumstances... <laughs> can really change people's receptivity for the gospel. It's amazing what circumstances do. You're folding your arms today and you're saying, I'm not interested, and all of a sudden you're in this storm of life and, and suddenly you're receptive. Suddenly you're saying, I want to listen a little bit more. I want to hear more of what all this is about. But the, here's, the, here's the thing about difficult and even terrifying situations. Have you noticed they usually they come at us with a ferocity and, and usually out of nowhere. We didn't see them coming. Look back at verse 24 in the text. It tells us there in verse 24, without warning. Just circle that little phrase, without warning, without warning. They didn't expect it. A furious storm came up on the lake. The Sea of Galilee or Tiberias or Lake Gennesaret, some of our Bibles use different terms, is is a giant, beautiful lake in northern Israel. It's 33 miles in length. It's about eight miles wide. It's the, it's the largest um, natural water lake uh, below the sea level in all the world. It's 700 feet below sea level. And the topography of the Sea of Galilee is such that there are these uh, crazy weather patterns that happen coming off Mount Arbel, Mount Hermon, and down into the into the uh, Galilean area, and very quickly uh, things can change on that lake. I remember in the early 1980s, I was on a trip to Israel, actually went to Israel, studied there for about a month. It was a beautiful time, amazing time. I always look back on that. It's so formational for my spiritual growth and, and direction. If you ever get the chance to go and visit Israel, we've occasionally our pastors lead trips. You ought to find out about those and get on board with those. They're amazing opportunities. 
And uh, I'll never forget in, uh, in the early 80s where I took this trip, there we were with our group of about 30 students and we were boarding a boat. It was kind of like a ferry boat that was going to take us across the Sea of Galilee. The waters were calm. There was some clouds in the sky, but it really wasn't any big deal. And we were kind of all joking a little bit with each other. We know the stories of the Gospels and we're saying, hey, I wonder what will happen as we go across the lake today. And, and we get in this boat and I'll never forget how literally within about 15 minutes it went from sort of a tranquil lake experience to this crazy squall that came up. And I remember the skipper on the boat, he heard us talking and kind of, you know, goofing around a little bit. And he had this knowing look like, yeah, tourists, they don't understand. And when, when we were going for cover with the spray and the rain and getting out of the winds, uh, he just kind of reached, uh, he kind of came over to us and said, you know, this is what happens on this lake. It's amazing. And all of a sudden this story took on a, kind of a whole new meaning to me. That you might think everything is calm in your life and suddenly this, this radical you know, change takes place. It's interesting, Matthew uses the little word there. Notice back that, that little phrase, furious storm, that we translate, my Bible says furious storm. In the Greek language, that's megas seismos. Now, now seismos is a word that we use for seismology or earthquakes. The only thing that Matthew could think of was something that, that involved like this upheaval. It's a, a churning when the chop of this lake got, got increased to such a degree that, that there were waves breaking over the bow of this boat. And think about this. These were not, this was not a big boat like we were on when we were on the Sea of Galilee or, the, or Lake uh, Tiberias. This was a very small fishing boat, probably 10 to 12, 15 people, maybe at the max. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that there were other boats traveling with them, maybe some of the disciples were scattered in some of those other boats, but there were some of his disciples with Jesus in this boat. And, and so there he was, out of nowhere, without warning, this megas seismos storm blows in. And maybe this is, I just want to stop right here for a second, maybe this is a picture of our lives in some way today. I mean, maybe this is where we are. Maybe we have been rocked by sudden news that sort of has taken us like a furious squall. Uh, you know, you find out your spouse has had an affair or your doctor's informed you that the spot that they biopsied is, is malignant or your unmarried teenage daughter is pregnant or you've lost your job or you're financially upside down or, or you've been evicted from your house or you've been let down by a friend or you, you've got, you're at odds with somebody that you're very dear to. I don't know. Out of nowhere, a furious storm has come into your life. And, and I just want you to stop and think about a moment just what, it, what this story means for your life because what we're about to read in the story I think has incredible application for wherever we might be if a storm is brewing or at full mast in our lives this morning. So, so he, here's the second movement of this little text. I, I find that in these situations we need to be aware of a few things. Now awareness is a huge thing when it comes to keeping yourself out of trouble or getting in worse trouble when we're exposed to those things. Because when we experience troubles, which we will all experience, by the way, hate to tell you this, but probably this week you're going to experience some trouble. Uh, and I'm just warning you right now is that when we get into the trouble that we're going to have this week, let's remember, you might even be in the midst of, of thinking that you are following Jesus. You're doing what Jesus wants you to do. Uh, you, you are uh, just carrying out your role as a Christ follower and whatever it is that you're doing. And all of a sudden, boom, this storm comes up. So let's, let's be aware of a couple of things, three things in particular, if you're taking notes. Let's be aware first that Jesus is with us. Say that with me. Jesus 
is with us. Now, I know that that's kind of a Sunday school thing to say. I mean, most of us have learned that from childhood. And if you're new to the faith, uh, that's probably even something you've got under your belt. And if you're looking into faith, you probably would hazard a guess that Christ followers would at least say, whether it's true or not, if you're looking into the faith, you would say that Christ followers would admit that, that Jesus never leaves us, like he's, he's always around us. So let's go back into the text and see what this looks like for the disciples. It tells us in verse 24 that when this storm brews up and this, the waves are sweeping over the boat, that Jesus was sleeping. Wait, what? I mean, he's, he's in the boat He's with them, but he's asleep. Now, uh, scholars will tell us there's no doubt Jesus was sleeping because he was so tired. Uh, He was human. It's just as wrong to dismiss the humanity of Christ as it is to dismiss the deity of Christ. And so we know that Jesus was human. He was the God-man, remember. And so with looking at the context of Matthew 8, we know that Jesus had been very busy. Uh, There was an enormous ministry happening throughout the Capernaum area around the Galilean area where Jesus was ministering. And so it was no doubt that when the two guys stepped up that we read about last week that wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus may have, he wanted to separate from the crowds. Remember, he wanted to get a little time, a little alone time perhaps with his disciples. And so it's, it's likely that Jesus was uh, just needed to just crash and sleep. But the thing that's interesting about that Assumption, and there's nothing wrong with the assumption, but the thing that's interesting is I'm, I'm assuming that the disciples were tired too because they're human, uh, the, and they were not divine. So they were just human, and they were awake. Now, they were also fishermen, so they had been in storms before too. This must have been a real doozy, what had taken place in that moment. Um, and so the disciples, they weren't sleeping. They were awake. But So here's what I'm going to surmise Uh, about Jesus sleeping in the boat. Yes, he would have been tired, no doubt, but I think there's something more important and maybe more profound. I think what we read here and see here is that Jesus was actually practicing uh, the restful awareness of his heavenly Father's presence. A restful awareness. Uh, Being aware of God's presence in your life will give you a peace that transcends understanding. One of my favorite Bible verses in Philippians 4 where it tells us there, you know, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. That's, that's a paraphrase. Literally, do not be anxious in anything but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 6, and the peace of God which transcends understanding will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful passage of scripture that really goes along with what we're seeing in the life of Jesus here. He's modeling this. He's, he's resting in the presence of his father. He's not worried about circumstances. He's tired, yes, but he's more at rest. And I don't know about you, I, I, I think our tendency is more along the lines of, of concern or even panic uh, when we get into situations that we, we don't really know about. Which brings us me to the second little thing that we need to see in this text. Not only is Jesus with us, let's be reminded, let's be aware, Jesus is with us, but also our tendency is to lose sight of what we know is true. In these circumstances, our, our, our tendency is to lose sight of what we know is true. Now, I, I would like to believe that had the disciples just paused for a moment longer 
in this midst of the storm, they would have surmised, wait a minute, I know we're kind of freaking out. This looks like a terrible situation, but let's, let's not forget the big picture. Jesus is with us. He's in the boat. And so maybe the thought would have been something like, as long as we stay close to Jesus, no matter what happens here in the boat or outside the boat, as long as we stay close to Jesus, we can be assured that it's going to work out. Because we know we're with Jesus. Now, right? Wouldn't you surmise that that's, if they just would have waited a second, but no, uh, they, they jump quickly to sort of, sort of trying to straighten the matter out. Now, if you were a follower of God, if you were a Jew, which these disciples were, uh, they would have known well the, the, the thread that is woven through the entire Old Testament that we read in the book of Deuteronomy and we find it kind of laced all throughout uh, of the promise of God that he says to his people, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a huge promise. Now, that can be sort of intellectualized, and we can uh, just kind of tuck that in our minds, or we can actually harness it and believe it. Jesus, at the end of Matthew, reminds us when he tells his disciples, and he's reminding us too, he says, I am with you always. Remember, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the what? End of the age. So Jesus promises the very thing the Father promises to him. He says, I will be with you. I, you will never, ever, ever, ever be in a place where I am not present with you as my people. That's huge. Because people let us down. Friends let us down. Family let us down. People, we make promises about always being there for people and we're not. But God promises to always be there. Now watch this. When we forget this, that God's with us, we, we tend to resort to fear and panic. And, and what happens in that fear and panic, here's what happens. We assume that we need to get Jesus' attention, get God's attention. So the disciples are beside themselves, and, and here's what they do. It's time to wake Jesus up. I, I, I don't know. I see a little humor in this. And I, as I laugh about it, I sort of think of my own life. How oftentimes in my crisis, watch this, my prayer life sounds like I'm informing God of what he already knows. And what, what's telling me, what's, what that's telling me is that I have a tendency to assume that God is actually asleep at the switch and I need to inform him and sort of bring him up to speed so he can get in there and do something about this. But then I reflect on the fact that actually the reality is God may actually lead me into places and situations just like this for a purpose. And he doesn't need to be informed of anything. And so when Jesus sort of comes to and I don't know, was he droggy? You know, was he yawning when they woke him up? Uh, he says to his disciples, verse 26. Well, actually, wait a minute. Let's look at verse 25. Lord, save us. It's, imper it's Lord, now. Save us now. We're going to drown. I think it's Mark's gospel that said, Master, don't you care if we drown? Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like God just might not be caring a whole lot right now? I mean, he cares about the world, but you in particular in some moment? I'm not sure about that. No. We often reflect this idea that, that God may not really be aware of what's going on. But Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, I, I would like to think that Jesus was not angry at his disciples, but I think he was, I think he probably had a look of like, wait a minute. Don't you realize who's with you? 
I mean, um, I, when I read the story as a little boy, I remember thinking, oh, what Jesus was saying here is that they had the faith to actually still the storm. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I don't think Jesus was saying, why didn't you have faith? You guys got to calm this place down just with your own faith. No, because they didn't have the power over elements. Have you ever done that? You know, you got a big day, a wedding or something going on, and it looks like it's going to rain. Oh, stop the rain. You're standing out there. Don't rain. You know, you're calling into the elements. It doesn't work. Jesus had the power to do that. The disciples didn't have the power to do that. But why does he say, oh, you have little faith? I think he's saying, don't you realize who's with you in the boat? Don't you realize that your faith can be in me and it, wherever I am, if you're with me, there's, it's all right, it's all gonna work out? And it tells us then that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Wow. Now, uh, there's interesting, some commentators uh, make a point of pointing out that, that the word rebuke here is often used in Scripture in a way to show authority over evil intent. Did Jesus see something evil in the storm? And maybe so. I mean, maybe this, uh, Satan was always trying to destroy Jesus. Always, this could have been a beautiful, powerful, timely moment for Satan to not only take down the Savior, but all those that were following him. Take him into the briny deep. It wasn't briny deep, it was fresh water. But whether that was the case or not, we don't know, it's all speculation. But we know this, Jesus with a word makes it calm. Now, this is strikingly familiar. And in fact, maybe you even recall a few months ago, we were in a passage in Psalms. Would you turn to Psalm 107, please? This is, this is almost eerily familiar because Psalm 107 is a psalm of deliverance and any Jewish person would have known the psalms of deliverance. The last of the five books of the psalms, there are five books in the psalms that comprise the 150 psalms. The last of the books, book number five, begins with Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 is a psalm of deliverance. And at least four times in this psalm, we have the picture that as the people cried out to God for whatever it is they were going through, we have this beautiful statement, and they cried to the Lord in their distress, and the Lord delivered them from their trouble. You see that in verse 6. You see it down in verse 14. You see it over in verse 20. Here, here again in verse 23, let's just pick up the narrative of what the psalmist writes. Others went out on, sea, on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted up the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of people and praise him in the council of the elders. 
Oh, this is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? And isn't it eerily familiar to what we read in Matthew chapter 8? And might it have been that Jesus wanted to be just a, a perfect illustration of what every Jewish person knew from Psalm 103, that when we're in trouble, we cry to the Lord and reminding ourselves that he is with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, and he's the only one that can calm the storm. And out of which, watch this, it says at the end of Psalm 107, that they will declare his praise in the assembly. You know what I learned from that? I learned that worship is powerful, most powerful, when we're in the storms of our lives. I mean, if you've ever been weathering a storm, you know what will powerfully not only release you for even more faith and trust is when you demonstrate faith and trust through worshiping worshiping Christ. The power of worship in the state of a storm is a beautiful thing. And it it assures our hearts that deliverance is coming. Now, we've said many, many times, and there's nothing pasty about this, some of us are in storms today that look like they're only getting worse, and some of us are even actually in places where we thought the storm could not have been worse, and it went that far, and we're still waiting to see what God's going to do in delivering. And we're not there. And unless we embrace that truth, we're really never going to fully embrace what it means to worship God. And here's why. Uh, If we only worship God because we see and understand why he's doing all this stuff, you know, the big picture becomes clear. If that's the only impetus for worshiping God, then we are only worshipers in a pragmatic sense. We are worshiping a God that does stuff for us. That's not Christianity. Christianity is worshiping a God even when we don't see the stuff he does for us. And even when it looks like he didn't do anything for us. And you just, you want a text on that? Read the book of Job. (laughs) Never tells Job. God never tells Job what's going on. Never. Doesn't say why he did it. Doesn't give him any explanation. Doesn't say, okay, this is why I was doing this because I'm going to bless you later in your life. Never says it. I find in my life, I'm, I'm oftentimes looking for the reason. And, and people will even say this. Well, you don't know, but someday you're going to know why. I don't think we should talk that way about trials and tragedies in our lives. In this life, I find nothing in Scripture that tells me I will know why. I may never know. But I'm going to choose to embrace that truth. For without embracing that truth, I become a pragmatic worshiper that only worships God for the stuff he does. And God is so much more worthy of our worship. He's worth our worship just to know him and to follow him. Which brings us to the last little movement of this text, and that is in verse 27, where where we find one purpose behind God leading us into these situations, and that is to prove himself trustworthy as sovereign over all. I call this in my notes, moving from the uh uh-oh to the uh aha. I mean, here they were in the boat, and their life was falling apart. And they were like going, "Uh uh uh-oh, 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 and all of a sudden Jesus does something, and they go, aha. They say, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What they're saying is, this is more than a man. This is once again their hearts getting deeper with who Jesus was. Not the things he did for them, but who he was. Worthy of worship because of who he was. He is worthy of our praise because of who he is. And yes, we can praise him for what he does. 
But true worship, true worship is worshiping him for who he is. What kind of man is this? Well, he's a man who has authority over disease and over demons and, yes, even over the elements. And you wonder if you can trust him with your life? You wonder if he can take care of your problem? You bet he can. He's the one that can silence the storm. And can I just add, he's the only one. Let's go to the Lord right now. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Thank you for your word, Lord, that speaks very plainly and very simply, but very profoundly. And Lord, I know in a crowd this size, we've all got storms. I've got them. Everyone else does too. And we're going to choose to praise your name, Lord, because we know, Lord, that you weathered the most fierce storm possible. Jesus, when you hung on the cross and you cried out in that loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that great storm of the cross and taking upon yourself the sins of the world, our sins, my sins, you experienced a dreadful storm. That temporary loss of beautiful fellowship and glory that you shared with your heavenly Father for eternity past, but you did it for us. Why were you forsaken? So that we could become your beloved. Lord, this morning there may be someone here today that has never opened his or her heart to you. And would it be possible this morning, Lord, Well, we know it's possible, but would it be your grand design, your sovereign will, that today you would open the eyes of somebody to see that salvation is in you alone and that whatever storm they might be dealing with is is merely and purely perhaps the vehicle or the tool to cause that person to be open and receptive to the gospel call, that we would die to our own selves and that we would believe in faith that you died for us and rose again from the grave. And through faith and repentance, we might enter into a life that is being transformed day by day. And Lord, for those of us that today need to make that decision, commitment that is catapulted into our hearts right now by your sovereign choice, it's a mystery to us, Lord. I pray that you will give people faith to believe right now. And if there's any one of us here today, Lord, that already are following you and we're trusting you, Let us look not at the storm that's brewing or is upon us in our lives, but may we look steadfastly to you, Jesus, because you are with us and you never leave us or forsake us. We pray, Lord Jesus, in these final moments of this service, you would have your way and bring us closer to you. May we sense your presence even in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, once a month in our morning services, we have the privilege of participating in the Lord's Supper, and we, we always try to remind ourselves, remind everyone, that this is not a religious experience that we're going to do. We're not trying to just cross something off the list. Jesus commands us to do this on a regular basis. Some people do it weekly. In our morning services, we do it monthly. 
And we fear we could do it too much or too little. I don't know what the right balance is, but the reality is whenever we do it, the Bible says, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning as we pass these elements, here's what's going on. We're reminding our hearts that Jesus weathered the greatest storm anyone could ever go through. He was brutally killed, murdered, and yet willingly gave his life perfect justice and perfect mercy all in one fell swoop. And on the cross, he gave his life as a payment for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the grave to show that he had the power over death itself. And as we partake in these elements of his shed blood and given body, we are proclaiming that Jesus is enough, that we need him alone and nothing else for our salvation and for our transformation. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to make their way forward right now. If you're not yet a believer in Christ, let these plates go by. This is, and there's no shame in that. This is simply for believers in Christ, people who want to proclaim the Lord's death today, publicly and privately in their own hearts. Once we've all received, we'll partake together. But let these next moments be a moment of worship, a moment of examination of our hearts And let's sense the presence of our Lord Jesus who promised he would never leave us.